The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Today's teaching text comes from Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Family, how we doing? That was not a lot, guys. Come on. Uh, well, like I said, my name is Garrison. I'm a pastor in training here, excited for tonight. Um, as you just heard, we're in Psalm 94, so if you want to flip there, we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will get started. Father God, thank you um, that we get to be together um, for another Sunday. Lord, let us not uh, take this uh, for granted that we get to meet as a body, that we get to worship you and hear from your word, God. Pray that you would uh, be with us tonight um, as we talk about um, about anger, about who you are, about how you respond to injustice. God, we thank you uh, for your kindness to us and for the gospel. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the pathway to be an emotionally healthy person looks like, one, knowing the definition, knowing, knowing what it means to be an emotionally healthy person. Secondly, you got to know how to get there. you got to know the movements that we've talked about. Maybe, if, maybe just as importantly, if not more, is you also have to have seen the Pixar hit Inside Out. I don't have a Bible, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I think some of us are probably like, it took us eight weeks of talking about emotional health to mention Inside Out, and I'm like, I know, it's kind of crazy. 
If you've never seen it, uh, I would highly recommend it. It's hilarious. It's really insightful. Uh, it, it pretty much frames up the life of this 11-year-old girl uh, by looking at the emotions that are kind of running the show inside of her head. So you've got uh, joy, fear, disgust, anger, and sadness. And it's all hilarious and insightful how they talk with one another. Um, one of my favorite parts about the movie uh, is just watching anger. And just seeing what he says, uh, the, the way that they uh, kind of portray him is kind of funny. So they, they do a play on like the short man syndrome type thing, which is, you know, hurtful as a short person, but whatever. Um, but, you know, he's like, he's red, he's short, he wears a suit and tie. Anytime anger gets angry, his head explodes into fire, and he's got the best lines in the movie, I think. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite parts is at the very beginning of the movie, Joy is kind of narrating a little bit about each emotion. And she gets to Anger, who's in the middle of a tantrum. He's blowing up, his head's on fire. And she says, you know, this is Anger. And he likes, um, he likes for things to be fair which is a very nice thing to say. It's not exactly true, but I think she's on to something. I, I would like to say it a little bit differently. Anger likes for things to be right. Anger likes for things to be right. Tonight we're talking about anger, and I'm going to give us a quick definition that I think Inside Out really hones in on. And it says, anger is opposition towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you or others wrong. Anger is opposition towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you or others wrong. In short, you're hostile uh, or you're opposing someone or something that you don't think is right. They're not in the right as we, as we talk about anger, something we have to be on the same page about is I think we all have a little bit of a tendency uh, when, we, when we think about anger to say, I'm not really an angry person, though, right? Like, our category for anger is literally the inside-out play on it, right? It's like somebody who's really harsh, they fly off the handle, they're really irritable. Uh, maybe you wouldn't describe anybody that way, but, you know, when you think about a friend or someone, they're just not the person you want to play a board game with or watch sporting events with. You just don't really want to do that with them. That's maybe how you would categorize an angry person. But anger can look different from person to person. So for some of us, myself included, anger does look like an outward expression. So we show it outwardly. We have a tendency to lash out, we argue, we complain, we say things we shouldn't. But that's not true for everyone. Some people, it's more inward. So uh, maybe you don't lash out at somebody, but you do have those anger fantasies where you say the really cold, cutting thing that really puts them in their place. You would love to say it, but you're nice, so you wouldn't do that. That's still anger. Or maybe uh, you shut down and you feel like you're not doing anything, but in reality, you're not, uh, you're not boiling over, but you're simmering. And if someone gets close, they're still going to get burnt in the same exact way. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. Well, what I want us to see uh, and look at what, when we're looking at anger is what's happening is we're responding to something or someone we perceive as wrong. Which, uh, another thing about anger that's really and equally as important is that anger isn't inherently wrong. It's not inherently sinful. It can be, but it isn't necessarily that way. It can be righteous or unrighteous. It really comes down to two questions. One, what is the right that we're angry over? 
Or in other words, what did someone do wrong? And secondly, what do we think the solution is to fixing it? How can the problem be remedied? I think we can see how these questions play out in the life of Jesus, where we see righteous anger displayed. So uh, you don't have to flip there. I'm just going to throw it on the screen. This is from John 2, where we see Jesus angry. This is from John 2. It says, When the Jewish Passover was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their tables. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This may be something that you've read before, but it is sort of shocking. So Jesus shows up to the temple, and he sees these men capitalizing on the Jewish sacrificial system. So at the time, in order to maintain a right standing with God, the Jews would have to make animal sacrifices. So these men are sitting in the temple. They're they're basically saying, hey, we know that you've got to make these sacrifices, so we're going to make a quick buck on it. And it says Jesus sees this, and he goes and makes a whip He comes back, he drives them out, and he overturns all their tables, pours out all the money. Yet Jesus isn't sinning. He's responding in righteous anger because the things of God are being twisted for selfish gain. So the right, if you're going back to the questions, the right thing that he's angry over is that God's temple is meant for worship, not for profit. And the solution, the fix, is he literally steps in and does something about it. He shuts it down. So we got to see that there is a category. There is a category where anger can be the right emotional response. However, most of the time it's not, especially for us. If we're honest, our anger doesn't really look like that most of the time. Uh, the The way it usually looks is something like this. A driver cuts you off in traffic, And yeah, maybe they put me in danger. They're also inconveniencing me and possibly putting me in danger. So they deserve for me to speed up, maybe make a not nice gesture at them, to yell at them. Maybe it looks like a friend makes a joke at your expense. So I'm mad because I expected more from my friends, but also because it made me me look bad and I'm embarrassed about it. And what I think is right is to get even. I'm going to go right back at them or I'm going to do the anger fantasy thing, and I'm going to play it over and over again, me getting even with them. Or maybe it looks like a a person that gossips or sows disunity in the church, and I'm angry about it. Maybe they were gossiping about me, but my response is to say, well, two can play that game. I can do that too. All of those responses, the key about them, is they come from perceived injustices. They come from perceived things that were wrong or right. That's how anger works. It's all built on our perception, meaning the response, it's a response based on our perception of what happened to make us angry and our perception of what is right or good, meaning our perception of what the right next step to fix it is. And the danger there is that our perceptions are often wrong. Our perception of what happened can be wrong. Our perception of what to do about it can be wrong. And if you think back to those examples, it's built on, oh, it's my perception of the injustice. 
my perception of the severity of the injustice, my perceived correct course of action to deal with the perceived injustice. If you're like, what? Yeah, it's complicated. It's not easy. It's not a clear uh, thing at times. However, we can see a difference, I think. We can get some clarity. I just think we have to go back to our initial point in this series. we got to connect it to our definition of emotional health. So if you remember back, we said emotional health is having the right emotion at the right time with the right amount for the right duration because of the right reason, namely love. So if we're trying to determine what righteous anger is, we've got to look at the definition. Being righteously angry looks like being angry at the right time with the right amount for the right duration because of the right reason, namely love love of God, and love of others. And if you get any of that wrong, if you're mad at the wrong time, for the wrong duration, the wrong reason, the wrong amount, it doesn't matter what you got right. If you got something wrong, then you're unrighteously angry. And what I want to do for the rest of our time is just prove that to you and show what it actually looks like to be unrighteously versus righteously angry as we look at Psalm 94. So if you're there, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Psalm 94, you can read behind me or in your Bible. It reads, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and they murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. So I want to start by looking at the right reason and the right time. As you look at righteous anger, we're going to break down what it looks like to have the right reason and the right time. So in this psalm, we clearly see anger displayed. The writer is calling for God to avenge his people. He even says it repeatedly. Oh, God of vengeance, shine forth. He's calling for God to judge the earth and the wicked. He's wondering how long he's got to wait before God does something about evil and injustice. And we see the reason and the time for his anger on display. It's both connected to the events that he's seeing, the circumstances of his life. So he's upset over God's people being harmed. He specifically says the widow, the sojourner, the fatherless are being oppressed and killed. He's angry for the right reasons. He's angry at the right time. This is the model from our anger. Very simply, you can boil it down to a question and this question is going to inform if you're angry at the right time or for the right reason. Are we angry about the things God is angry about? Are we angry about the things God is angry about? If we are, we're going to get the right reason at the right time correct. But I think if we're honest, we're typically not very mad, not very angry about the things God is angry about. I'm not talking necessarily what you would confessionally say, right? Like, yeah, I agree that that is wrong. I agree with God. I'm talking about like Tuesday at 10 a.m. What actually makes you mad? What actually makes you angry in your day in, day out life? Because I think most of the times it looks like things uh, like, oh, my kids, my spouse, my roommates aren't doing what I think they should and what I want them to do. 
Traffic jams, bad drivers, a poor internet connection, power going out and not getting restored in time for me to do my job. Jealousy or envy, like we talked about last week. Others not uh, meeting our expectations. People not respecting me as I think they should. It, it usually has way more to do with things being uh, just inconveniences to my life or just small irritations rather than things that anger the heart of God. God's angry about way different things than how great or bad your internet connection is or how bad of a company spectrum is. It's way different. God is angry about things like people not knowing him, living in sin, his people living in sin. He's angry about disunity, people treating each other poorly in the church. He's angry about fatherlessness, racism and prejudice, oppression of the sojourner and the vulnerable, the poor going hungry and living in need. He's angry about Christian leaders who misuse and abuse their power rather than leading and shepherding as they're called to. So very simply, are we angry about those things? Are we angry about the things God is angry about? Now, I also know there's some macro-level implications of this as well. So much of the division in our society and politics comes down to the reason and the timing of our anger. I think, it, I think it's really interesting. Um, what gives away a lot of what you believe and value is determined and revealed by what you're angry about and when you're angry about it. And a lot of the reason we see division uh, in our society and our politics is because people can't agree about what to be angry about the most. And we end up getting angry at other people because they're not angry in the same that we're angry about. So what, what makes you angry? What's the reason for your anger? It reveals a lot about you. Uh, what, I, what I want us to see is that many of us have specific causes and passions that we care about deeply, and it fuels our anger. Some of those causes are in line with what God says we should be angry about, and some are not. And the danger is that we usually can't tell the difference. We're usually pretty unaware of our biases. So every single one of us has been uniquely conditioned to be angry about certain things. Our culture informs it, our culture at large, your social media, your uh, family of origin, your experiences, your race, your gender, and, and much more. All of these things shape you personally to care and not care about certain things to be angry and not angry about certain things. And it's going to be different from person to person. I say all that to say it's vital for us to be shaped by the Bible. It's absolutely vital for us to be shaped by the Bible. Because if you think that your perceptions, even the ones that you're convinced are right, are unbiased and pure, then you will have blind spots. Our angers have to be shaped by the Bible and what God says to be mad about, not by our personally curated TikTok algorithms or your Instagram reels where just some rando pops up complaining and ranting about the most recent headline. That's the danger, is that we would blink, we'd wake up and be mad about what some influencer or biased news reporter told us to be mad about, not what the Bible says we should be mad about. And, and the reality is, we spend hours every day in front of a screen, and we spend 20 minutes in front of our Bibles. That's going to have an effect on us. So we either are going to miss what the Bible says completely, or we're going to end up unbalanced. Where we really care about these things, yeah, the Bible agrees with them, but in reality, it's just what our culture is mad about right now. 
And sure, it overlaps about the Bible with the Bible, but what about all of these other things over here? We just turn into unbalanced Christians that look a lot more like our culture than what the Bible's calling us to be. We can't neglect what God says we're supposed to care about. We got to be angry about all of it. Can't pick and choose. So are we angry about the things God is angry about? That's got to be the reason for our anger, and that's got to inform the timing for our anger. Let's hock back in. We'll keep on breaking it down. This is verse 8. It says, Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when, you will be, when will you be wise? Who planted the ear, does he not hear? Who formed the eye, does he not see? Who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous." And all the upheart, upright in heart will follow it. So we've got to talk about the right amount. The right amount. Anger is the correct response that's being shown by the writer of this psalm. So he's seeing evil, seeing oppression, he's seeing injustice. And what anger is designed to be is our emotional response to sin. Our emotional response to injustice and brokenness, to things not being how they should. God designed anger to energize our passions to kill sin, to fight sin. There are things we should hate, very simply. But another temptation is that we wouldn't be angry enough, or we'd be too angry. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever heard someone critique how we talk about love? I think maybe we preached on this a couple months ago. Like We, we do things like, uh, I love my spouse, and I love stranger things. We do that, right? I love my kids, and I love Waffle House. Like, what's up with that? What are, the, what are we doing? We do the same thing with, with anger. So I'm really angry about racism, and I'm really angry and hate this line of genes. What's up with that? Seriously. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm angry about poverty, school shootings and I'm just really angry about the fact my favorite celebrity couple broke up what are we doing um, like I'll, I'll, I'll get personal with it and kind of reframe it this way um, all of those things make me angry would you know it if you spent any amount of time with me I don't think you would I think if you spend any amount of time with me, what you would walk away knowing that I'm angry about is like bad Star Wars content. <laughs> Seriously. Or like my football team's not very good and that really irks me. But you wouldn't know that the things of God make me mad. And I wonder if the same is true for you. Like if somebody asked your friends, what makes them the most mad? Would they be able to say, Oh, it's, it's this thing, or all of these, these things that we're commanded to care about as Christians. I know that's not true for me. We have to be angry with the right amount along with the right reason and time. Same is true for the right duration. 
the right duration. So instead of the wrong amount of anger, we'll let our anger sit and fester for the wrong amount of time. That's what I'm talking about with duration. It's the wrong amount of time we're angry. So on a small scale, we'll let silly stuff that I mentioned earlier, like uh, a bad show or a driver, ruin our day or week or month. And we come home and we're ranting about it. We'll hold on to it for too long or we'll shut down because of a comment. We'll dig our toes in over a dumb argument about nothing. Or honestly, it could look really dramatic where we're just really angry about this movie or, I don't know, hypothetically, like the the waiter or waitress took too long to get you your food and bill. I don't know who talks about that for days. It can also be really big, though, where we hold on to the big stuff for years or months, where somebody did something legitimately hurtful to us or uh, we're really angry about the way the world is. But we get stuck in it. And it's all we can think about every day, for months, maybe even for years. The danger of that is that we will grow bitter. We would just see all of the injustices that make us so mad, and we would just feel like nothing's happening. We grow bitter and cold, and that's when despair comes. Starts to take over our hearts as the person or the thing or the system that we're angry about. It, does, it just doesn't change. And it's like, God, where's the justice? Are you doing anything? Which only fuels the anger. So at the end, we, we get angry at the wrong time for the wrong reason, for the wrong amount, for the wrong duration. And at the core of all of those things is that we just want for things to be right. We just want for things to be right the way we define it and right now. It needs to be right and it needs to be right now, which is the core of the problem with unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is a demand for a more tolerable world now instead of trusting in God's redemptive plan and timing. Unrighteous anger is a demand for a more tolerable world now instead of trusting in God's redemptive plan and timing. So if you think about it, when we're unrighteously angry, when we want change, we want to fix something, we want to fix someone, we want things to be right. We kind of just want heaven. We're just looking for heaven in all of that. Underneath all the frustration, the irritations, the injustices, is a desire for things to be the right way. For things to be good. But the problem is we want it now. And I'm going to be the one to make it happen. I'm going to be the one to fix the person. I'm going to be the one to fix the system. If I just complain about it, rant about it enough. And we all know this, but that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The path of unrighteous anger leads only to despair because it never works out how we planned. It doesn't feel better when we put the person in their place. It doesn't feel better to argue more. It doesn't work because we only grow more bitter as we try to keep the world and everyone around us aligned with what we think is right. And we become impatient, cynical, and hopeless, and slowly grow cold towards God because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. It's not holding up his end of the bargain. Yoda was right. 
Anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. I know fear comes first. Just making my point. It doesn't work. It all leads to despair and suffering. But the reality is we're still stuck in the midst of our anger, in the midst of injustices and the problems. I'm angry. I'm now angry at God, and I can't do anything. Everything I try to do makes it worse, so what do I do? Let's look back and finish up in verse 16. There's actually one last thing we have to get right in order to have righteous anger. Reads, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? The band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent, innocent to death. But the Lord has been my, become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will be, bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. The last thing we have to see, we have to get right to be righteously angry is we have to have the right hope. We have to have the right hope. What hope do we have when we're angry at injustice that isn't getting fixed as fast as we'd like it to? Is that God will, like the text says, bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out in their wickedness? You gotta sit in that. You gotta sit in that reality that God is literally going to wipe out evil because that's what evil deserves. God isn't neutral about these things. He's not neutral about injustices, big or small. He deals with evil things viciously. Nothing is ignored. Nothing is missed. Nothing is overlooked. Not our own evil, not the evil done to us, not the evil in our world. And for God's people, if you're a believer, this gives us present comfort and future hope. So the present comfort in the verses, it says, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. God is our present stronghold and refuge. When my heart is overwhelmed by evil and I'm tempted to lash out in anger, I got to remember that God is there. God sees it. God is offended at it just as much as me, if not more. We got to have future hope. We have future hope. I don't have to correct all wrongs. I'm not the fixer. God is. I can't do it. And I can be comforted by the fact that God sees it all and has promised to one day do away with it all. Trusting God doesn't mean that you won't be angry anymore. It doesn't mean that all the problems are going to be fixed right now. It means that you recognize and get to live into a better reality. Like look, look at what the psalm says, how he reminds his soul this, of this reality. He says, God sees the wicked. He stands up against evil. He's preaching to himself. He says, yeah, things are bad. But if God hadn't done anything, I'd already be dead already. Look at how he says it. He says, my soul would have already been silenced. God's already doing something. And he knows me and he sees me. Um, unrighteous hope. Uh, and unrighteous anger, uh, it, it puts all of it on us. 
The hope is in what we can do now. What we can do uh, to the people around us, to the systems, and and if nothing happens, as often will, then we're hopeless. It's a bad hope. It's also a self-centered, a man-centered hope. And it's shallow. A God-centered hope helps us see that God is ultimately the one that will deal with all injustices, big or small, in my life and the world. How much of your life do you spend thinking about all of the problems, all of the injustices, like small things, like things that have happened to you, maybe big things that have happened to you, or the injustice in the world? How often do you just replay those things, wondering about them, but not praying? That's hopeless. We have a better hope, a God-given hope that remembers things like Romans 12, 19 that says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That hope leads to a righteous anger. Because righteous anger is this. It's a willingness to trust and struggle with God as we wait for His redemption both in the present and for eternity. Righteous anger is a willingness to trust and struggle with God as we wait for His redemption, both in the present and for eternity. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. We've got to wait. We're waiting for God to redeem us, those around us, and the world. We have to recognize that maybe not all that we want to happen is going to happen right now. And we struggle with Him in that reality. We struggle with him in prayer. We take our anger to him and to our community. We pray, we confess where we're at. Um, I hope you're picking up on this pattern where we've kind of done this every week, where we say we've got the emotion and it kind of consumes our minds for a little bit and we get it wrong. But what do we do about it? We go to God. Just like Tim said last week, the, the correct response for envy and for all of this stuff is, oh my gosh, I'm envious, I'm angry, I'm fearful, but I have God. But I have hope because of God, who is greater than my fears, who's greater than my envy, who's greater than my anger, who's going to do something about all of it. That's the pattern. That's how we deal with all of our emotions. Um, we ultimately have this hope because of Jesus have it because of Jesus, it's, a, it's an impossible sw- uh, pill to swallow that, yeah, there's injustices and brokenness and wrongs in your life that have happened, that will happen in our world that may not be fixed right now and you have to wait. That's an impossible pill to swallow without the hope of the gospel, without Jesus. But God is so committed to making things right in the world forever that he sent Jesus to die. That's the hope, is that God is so much more committed to making things right than we are. He's put it all on the line. He sent his son to die. That's the hope we have, that God cares for us, cares for the world. He's proven it, and we may not see it. It's definitely hard to see it when we're angry, when all we see is the problems, but the cross is the guarantee of God's love and care for us forever. We deserve to be crushed by God's righteous anger and wrath, but instead he saves us by grace, by taking our place, that we can put our hope and trust in him for our own salvation and for the redemption and salvation of the world. 
Our God promises to deal with all injustices, big and small, personal, impersonal, and we trust Him and hope in Him because He was faithful. He's faithful in His death and His resurrection. He'll be faithful to the end. That's your hope. That's your hope. But for now, we wait and we struggle. So I, I want to give us some uh, practicals as we end. Coming out of our gospel, hope, how we can deal with the little things that provoke us to anger and the big things. Just a, just a quick few, three things of what we can do, how we can handle anger well and righteously. Um, first one is, is to be still. Be still. So anger energizes us to go do something, to lash out, to get angry, to, to go after the thing. And one of the ways that you over and over again see, uh, especially in the Psalms, but throughout the scriptures that the people of God are called to do is to be still, to wait for God. Sometimes it says, uh, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes it says, be still and wait. So we wait on God. Literally, we stop. Our anger would tell us we need to go do this. We don't. <laughs> we pause. We wait. We sit in the quiet. And we reflect on the reality that God is the one that's going to fix the problems. God is going to redeem the world. And we sit in stillness, remember who he is. Remember what he's done, what he's going to do. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to lament. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's really the biblical term for we got to grieve. We've got to grieve the things that are off and broken in the world. And because it's a biblical practice, it actually helps us practice and, and forms us in what the Bible says we should be sad and angry about. There's so many different things that are telling us what to be angry about. So we go to the Bible, and we pray, and we sit in the Scriptures. We interpret our world through a biblical lens, and we grieve. This is uh, one of the things we try to do in this gathering pretty often. As we say, the world's not as it should be. So we do this individually. We do this collectively. Um, if you have posted on social media about the badness of the world and you have not gone to God, you've missed it. You've missed the order there. So you've got to start by going to God with your griefs. And then lastly, coming out of... We're still. We choose to be still. We lament. Thirdly, we join God's mission. The first two lead into this. We've got to recognize the right hope, and then we go do something. Let your anger move you to do the right things, which is joining what God is doing in the world. God is already using us, using his people to push back darkness in the world uh, do you realize that God is mad about your neighbors not knowing him? He's angry about your coworkers not knowing Jesus. And he wants to use you to step into those gaps. So be angry about the things God is angry about and go do something about it. Step in and be God's means of grace to those who don't know him and need him. Uh, a proactive thing I would say to do is to serve. We have a lot of opportunities as a church, a lot of partnerships that we intentionally choose to be on mission with in our city. Um, I'll, I'll, I know I just hit on social media, but I'll do it again. Um, maybe for some of us, we literally need to just delete our social media. Because it's discipling us 
to kind of just be part of the mob, when in reality we need to be a part of the people of God, who don't just uh, point out the bad things, but we step in and we pray. We need, to, we need to get off our phones and go help some people. Seriously. If it, it is a problem uh, if everybody knows what issues you're mad about, but you're not doing anything about it. That's an issue. That's a hard issue. Our anger, even it's, if it's on the same page with our culture at large and with non-Christians, we got to look different than them. We got to. We can't just be a part of the outrage. We got to be a part of the solution. Stepping in the gaps, meeting people, real people, serving with real organizations, and praying for people, praying for our world. We, we have hope. We have real hope, which is way different than what we see in the, the anger, <laughs> the anger in our culture and society and political climate about all these different issues. There's no hope there. We have real hope, and that changes the way that we deal with things. Uh, part of uh, the, the beauty of our hope and the way that we rehearse it uh, is each week we take communion. This little uh, cup with some grape juice and a wafer is a beautiful reminder of your eternal hope in Christ. That the night he was betrayed, he took bread and wine with his disciples and he told them what was to come. So that his body would be broken, his blood would be shed for them and for us. So church, you can take the bread, the wafer that represents Christ's body that was broken for you. You can take and eat. Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, blood of the new covenant. It's confirmation of our hope, both for now and for eternity, you can take a drink. Let me pray for us. Father God, uh, I, we confess that we uh, do not get anger right. We don't get it correct. We're angry for the wrong reasons. We're often angry at the wrong time, at the wrong amount, for the wrong duration, Lord. And it affects our hearts. We, we can be hopeless in our anger, or we just feel like injustice uh, there is getting away with it, where bad people, bad systems are winning, and we forget who you are and what you're doing. God, we're, we're prone and quick to anger, in our personal relationships with people that we love. God, teach us to be still when we're provoked, to see who you are, what you've done for us, that we deserve all of your anger and wrath. And yet by your grace, you saved us. God, help us to have the right hope. God, we know that the world is still broken waiting for you to return. 
to undo it all, to wash away all sin and darkness, to wipe away all of our tears. So help us. God, for some of us that are just exhausted and bitter, cynical about anything good that can happen at large in our culture, God, help us to remember the cross. Jesus, where you, uh, you proved that you were so committed to us, to this world, that you laid down your life stay dead. That would be an empty hope, Lord. You rose again. And you sit at the Father's right hand, praying for us, mediating for us as we get this wrong over and over again. God, help us to have hope in you. Jesus, we know that you're, you're faithful to us even when we get it wrong, even when we stumble and fall and grow cold. Jesus, you're kind and faithful to us. So Spirit, move in us and change us. We love you, Jesus, in your name.